Fantastic. The second last song, uh, what a powerful name is, is um, I was lucky because I got to able to uh, run youth group. I think it's lucky. It's a bonus of my job, to, right? When the youth pastor leaves, I get to take over again. Uh, but nonetheless, it was fun. And the last, the last time I got to address them what is related to that song because I, I quoted the verse John 1. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Trying to take the kiddos back to, man, when God said something in Genesis, kaboom, it happened, right? And then if that wasn't enough, all throughout history and scripture, we see that he's interested and he pursues us to the point that he sends Jesus Christ in John, we, we hear all about him, and he puts on skin, God does, and he walks among us. And so we have the word in John chapter 1 with a capital W. The word became flesh and tented or tabernacled among us. So I kind of challenged and encouraged the kiddos, is there a chance that this summer that even when you're tenting, that God wants to meet you when you're tenting because he wants to tabernacle with you and he wants to say something to you, he wants to speak to you. And not only that, perhaps God wants to use you to speak powerful words into somebody else's life. And we know from Scripture, big deal, and even in James, that this little tongue of mine, which is, makes up a small percentage of my body, boy, I have the power to drag you down and to make you feel rotten or to build you up. So I love that last song. This was a free one, by the way. We don't, don't have to take another offering for what I just said. Hey, when, uh, when I was back in college, which was way, way long ago, it was about 94, 95, I went back to Manitoba. I was in Saskatchewan. I went back to Manitoba, and I was throwing, and I volunteered or jumped in to help with the youth group. They had just had a, um, a volunteer leave, and I got to hang out with a bunch of little rug rats. And I remember in that class was a challenging guy named Wesley Clausen. Wesley Clausen. And Wesley, he was a gem of a kid, man. Uh, he was the kind of kid that if things weren't going the way he wanted, then all of a sudden his parka would go over his head. What's a parka, you're asking, you West Coasters? Parker is a big jacket that keeps you warm in winter. Okay, so he would pull it up over his head, zip, and he'd zip, and all of a sudden he's a monster. Wesley, 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 Earth to Wesley, please. And then all of a sudden he'd be screaming, Wesley. So I, Wesley was the main thing that I said throughout that whole time. But it was really interesting because I took over for the next three, four months. And then after that, I'd see him at the a rink because I grew up in a little town of 300 people. So it was a rink, definitely a rink. And um, I would see him around town. I would see him at the ball diamond or whatever, small town stuff. And that kid was glebing onto me. Wherever I went, whatever I did, he would just <laughs> glebe onto me and sometimes onto my car. I'd get off my car, and I'd have to kind of and drive away. He's a gleeber, man. And uh, there was something about me, I guess, that attracted him to me. And then after I left and went back to college, then I asked a friend, Christine Friesen, a good old Mennonite again, uh, would you mind taking care of Wesley? It was really cool because right after that, Wesley gave his life to Christ. And this is a bazillion years ago, right? 94, I think. And it was just not that long ago that now he's in Alberta and he's contacted me again as an adult who's working on some of the, the oil fields up there. And the, the, the relationship's just gone on. And I guess what makes an impact on me 
is when I think about our ministries, and sometimes you're going, oh, Sunday school again, or youth group, whatever it might be, is there a chance that even today the Lord wants to push you over the edge and get you involved in a ministry that you've been scared of? Or you go, I did it when I was a mom, and by golly, now I get to sit on my haunches, on, you know, whatever it is. But we have all sorts of excuses. Some of us hang up our skates. We think we're too old and we have no idea what's going on. But you know what? I think back to grade 4, to grade 7, and grade 12. I, had, I can think back to specific stories of my Sunday school teachers or youth leaders, and they had an impact on me that is still with me today. So is there a chance that it's much more important than we think? And it's not always about your time schedule. It's not always about if it feels comfortable for you, or, you know, all sorts of stuff. Is, it, is the Lord actually pushing you or leading you or nudging you into an area that you just got to step out in faith and go, you know what? A couple people said I might be gifted in this area and there's a need in the church. I'm going to do it. So if you're feeling a little bit uneasy and guilty, fabulous. <laughs> fabulous. Now let's begin. So we are going to jump into Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and this is a really neat uh, story, and I'm going to be centering a little bit more on 12 to 13, the verses, but Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Here we go. On a certain Sabbath, on a certain Sabbath, Jesus was walking through a field of ripe grain. His disciples were pulling off heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands to get rid of the chaff and eating them. Some Pharisees, or teachers of the law, said, Why are you doing that, breaking a Sabbath rule? But Jesus stood up for them. Have you ever read what David and those with him did when they were hungry? How he entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar, bread that no one but the priests were allowed to eat? He also handed it out to his companions. Then he said, The Son of Man is no slave to the Sabbath. He's in charge. On another Sabbath, he went to a meeting place and taught. There was a man there with a crippled right hand. The religious scholars and Pharisees had their eye on Jesus to see if he would heal that man, hoping to catch him in a Sabbath infraction. Isn't that funny? Like, this is the, the whole setup. Hoping to catch him in a Sabbath infraction. He knew what they were up to, and he spoke to the man with the crippled hand. Get up. Stand here. Come on up here. Come up on stage. And he did. Then Jesus addressed him. Let me ask you something. What kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless? He looked around. Oh, this one is eerie to me. Verse 10. He looked around, he looked each one in the eye. He said to the man, hold out your hand. He held it out, and it was good as new. It was good as new. They were beside themselves with anger. So you guys are all smiling when I said, it's as good as new. I saw smiles pop up, but these guys were mad. How dare he do this on the Sabbath? They were beside themselves with anger and started plotting how they might... Get even with him. Verse 12, at about the same time he climbed a mountain, Jesus did to pray. He was there all night in prayer before God, before God the Father. 
The next day, he summoned his disciples. From them, he selected 12 he, he designated as apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, called the zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Coming down off the mountain with them, he stood on a, a plain surrounded by disciples and was soon joined by a huge congregation from all over Judea and Jerusalem, even from the seaside towns of uh, Tyre and Sidon. They had come both to hear him and to be cured of their ailments. Those disturbed by evil spirits were healed. Everyone was trying to just touch him. So much energy surging from him. So many people healed. Isn't that exciting? I love it. You guys, Jesus did a whole lot of modeling for us in this portion of Scripture. He did a ton of modeling for us in this Scripture. And I want to ask you a question right off the bat. When we look at the first couple of verses, let me read them again. On a, certain, on a certain Sabbath, Jesus was walking through a field of ripe grain. His disciples were pulling off the heads, rubbing them in, the hands, in their hands to get rid of the chaff. Here, if you look at it, yes, this was happening, but also I think there's a little bit of a bigger picture here is I'm wondering when you see people around you, do you see grain that is ripe or do you see chaff? When you look at people that get on your nerves, when you look at people in Wally, when sometimes you even look on 17th at the bus stop, do you see people as chaff or do you see them as ripe ministry opportunities? Even right now, I'm going to admit that some of the things that are happening politically in our climate here in Canada, boy, they kind of make you a little bit uneasy. What's going on in our schools? Soji123 is being jammed down our throats, down our gullets. And what can we do? A bunch of chaff? Or do we understand that actually a lot of these folks live in darkness, a lot of the administrators are jamming this down our throat, and how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? It's tough. Rubbing them in their hands to get rid of the chaff and eating them, some Pharisees, why are you doing that, breaking the Sabbath rule? Jesus stood up. Have you ever read what David and those with him did when they were hungry? How he entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar, bread that no one but priests were allowed to eat? And Jesus asked them a question. Let me ask you something. What kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless? One of the most incredible storytellers and people that ask questions is Jesus. I, I think sometimes our conversations lean toward chaff, where we want to so be right and we so want to prove people wrong that we really minimize how incredibly important questions are. And here Jesus does it again. Remember back in Genesis when Cain killed his brother and God comes and he's like looking all over the place like, where's Abel? I think he knew where Abel was. But he goes to Cain and says, where's your brother? He's given him an opportunity to come clean. And I think Jesus is fantastic and he gives us these questions. And I think we sometimes underestimate questions when we're, when we're hanging out with people. And I think sometimes we also underestimate that Jesus wants us to think. I know me growing up sometimes, I always want to feel Jesus. I always want to sense Jesus. I always want to grab onto things by faith. And I'd, oh, oh, oh. 
But here, I think he's also telling us by good questions, I want you to think. Think about this for a second. Are you telling me that keeping the Sabbath is more important than this guy that has a shriveled up hand for so many years? You would rather be fantastic, he kept the Sabbath, but good. That guy can come back on Monday to be healed. No, shoot. He's asking a great question. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It blows my mind that I think God wants us to be thinking. So you guys, what's going on in our political climate here and in the States is getting us to think. It's getting us to think. Think about your faith. Think about how to engage people. Think about what is something we will not, um, you know, waffle on and other things that perhaps we could chill out on. But we are called to think by the renewing of our mind. And when we renew our mind, what's one of the things that happens? Do we learn to just simply do what everybody else says? Do we learn to have great transactions with people? Or are we transformed? Transform really turns toward that, that word metamorphosis, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It's powerful. It's inside-out stuff. It's not just what you wear or how you look. It's what happens in here. Scripture's full of it. Even when it talks about an elder in Titus and Timothy, is it saying something like an elder must be a person, um, a husband of one wife? Do you think it means one wife at a time? <laughs> Only one wife? Or does it mean you can never be divorced? Or is there a chance that he's taking the whole thought of Scripture and saying, you know what, you can be, you can have, you can be married for 50 years, but look at porn on the web. You're not a one-woman man. Is he calling us in Scripture to look at the heart and just say, no, the husband of one wife really does mean I want you to be a one-woman man. There's a big difference there. And I think that is really the disposition of Scripture. He's interested what's happening inside of us. Not that fantastic, you made it to church on time, but yet good things happen here, so don't get me wrong. Show up next Sunday. But it's important that good things happen in our heart and we hear what the good Lord is saying. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I think sometimes we're distracted by chaff. I think the world's distracted by chaff like crazy. Culture's distracted by chaff. I think tons of people, yeah, but the church. Yeah, but I was hurt in the church. I was judged at the church. And I'm going, yeah, 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 I totally understand. The church has got on my nerves many times. Sorry. Erase that, please. But, um, but how about Jesus? How about Jesus? You guys, I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to offend you. And you can run out of here and run to the next church and next church. You will constantly be running to other churches. Come on. It's about Jesus, man. And he wants us to love him and he wants us to love each other. Doesn't mean we're always going to like each other. But he wants us to love one another. I love it. In John chapter 4, one of my favorite stories is Jesus goes through and uh, he comes into a place, Samaria, and there he comes in the heat of the day and he could have gone around. Here's this Jewish man. He comes to the well and there's this woman bringing up water 
and there's so many things that are wrong with this story in its time. And he walks up to this half-breed, quote-unquote, of a woman and uh, says, hey, can I get a drink of water? And she's like flabbergasted. Why are you talking to me? And she goes on to constantly distract him or she constantly goes to the chaff and says, are you telling me you're greater than the one who actually, our father who actually dug this well? And he's saying, if, it, if you knew who it was that asked you for a drink, you'd ask him to give you water that you would never thirst again. So it goes on and on and on. And then finally he gets right to the heart and says, you know what, why don't you go call your husband? And she looks down, probably that's why she was in, at the well in the heat of the day because it was almost embarrassing. She had many husbands. And, he's, and, she, and he goes, yeah, and the guy you're with right now, it's not even your husband. Now she's feeling sheepish and all that stuff. But then... It's not about her feeling sheepish. It's him revealing himself to her and saying, there, there's a time, there comes a time when God is looking for true worshipers, those who worship in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worshipers that God is after. Because she says, well, you Jews say we got to worship there on, in Jerusalem and we've done a great job worshiping God here in Mount Gerizim. And he's going, what are, you, what are you talking about? She's focused on the chaff. She's focused on religion. She's zealous for this and just getting him off. Squirrel! You know what I'm saying? There's something going on here. And how many times does the world want to capture you into an argument, make you look stupid, quote something that's in the news again about some kind of fundamentalist Christian, whatever it might be. And how many times do you bite? Or how many times do you have excuses, the church, do we have excuses why we don't reach out? It is scary. Sometimes you'll get your head bit off, absolutely. Or sometimes you go, I wouldn't mind sometimes volunteering for Sunday school, but some kids, they have all sorts of letters behind their names with all sorts of uh, illnesses and, and things like that. It just freaks me out. I'm so old, I don't know what to do with it. I can't even pick up a kid. My back hurts, my arthritis, you know. Oh, going on and on, right? But we need each other. We can't hang up our skates. We need each other. How many times do we focus on the chaff and we don't see the harvest? Or is there a chance that you might be sitting here today and God cannot use your potential because you're shutting him down because you're focused on the chaff? An illustration by that is uh, last week we had, a, I think, a 14, 15-year-old guy got baptized right here, and he gave a great, uh, great testimony. But some of you were blown away because it was so beautiful, his dad stood right here and blessed him. How many of us would love a blessing from our earthly dads? Oh, I didn't get one of those either. He died way too soon. But we were just absolutely blown away by this, the blessing. When I was a young lad, I wanted to get baptized, but I put it off for so many years. You know why? I was focused on the chaff in my life, that I wasn't good enough yet. I still struggled with some stuff. I wanted to get this under control, get that under control. I wanted to look good on a Sunday morning. I wanted you to look at me like, ooh, whitewashed tomb, right? And... I think there's opportunities for us sometimes to just stop and listen. God wants to speak to you, like I said to the youth on Thursday night. 
And are you focused on the chaff in your life? Are you focused on the garbage? Is there a chance that the Lord wants you to meet your potential, but you've been focused on the chaff? I love this too because another great example that Jesus gave for us here, he's dealing with religious people. He's dealing with people that want to focus on chaff. He's being surrounded by people. And what does he do? He goes away to get his batteries recharged by God the Father. So Jesus, that's right, Jesus himself goes away, and this happens many times in Scripture. He pulls off himself to a mountainside, and there he gets his batteries recharged. He prays, and part of that prayer is, God, who do you want me to choose to be not only my disciples, but to be apostles, ones who are actually empowered, ones who actually now are empowered and commissioned to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And did you notice that one of those 12 probably wasn't a great choice? That's actually a head-scratcher, isn't it? The whole Judas Iscariot thing. I'll just let you grapple with that all afternoon. But I love this because here, Jesus himself takes time to reconnect with God the Father, and Jesus himself gets his marching orders from God the Father. And then when he comes back and he comes to his disciples, there he chooses 12 to be his apostles. Right now, we're in a situation in our church where Weston, look, he's leaving again. <laughs> he's leaving here, and he's also going to Medicine Hat. But what's really cool is we get to bless him. We got such a neat opportunity to bless that guy. But we're missing some staff now, uh, including a youth pastor. So we have this search committee that's been struck from all sorts of people with walks, from different walks of life. And we're coming together. What does our church need? And now we've been interviewing people via Skype, in person, whatever. And it's a grueling job. Because we're trying to think, okay, what is the culture of our church? What do we need? And also, we don't want to grab a guy that's pretty good over here, but he's more like a square and nail him into a round hole. We want people like Weston to be in places where they also flourish, right? So that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. God, Father, who do you want me to choose to be our apostles? And I think this is a great opportunity for us to maybe do the same thing. To start praying or to continue to pray God, who is it that you're calling to our church to be youth pastor? Or let's meddle a little bit more. God, are you calling me to volunteer at church? I'll be real honest, is right now, we're going to a summer schedule in our children's ministry, which I love. So we're giving our, our full-time people a break. But we need volunteers to step up for summer. And right now, I think there's a couple, uh, there's only a couple Sundays that are taken, and after that, there's, gonna, there's kids are going to be in here. When people come with 10 kids, they're just going to sit in the service and deal with this. So we need people to volunteer. And we take it seriously. You, you do go through a process of RCMP check. Uh, you also go through a process of where you've got to learn, plan to protect, because we really value your kids. So we don't just take Joe Schmo. Hey, he's got red blood. Come on in, buddy. You know? No, we actually have a process. But we need you guys to volunteer. And let me pause there for a second. What we often look, at, look for is we look for chemistry when it comes to youth pastor and also for, for people that are volunteering. We look for chemistry. EQ, if, if that makes any sense. A person that can connect with the kiddos. And I've had conversations with some of you. You go, no, I can't do it. And I'm going, yes, you can. I've actually seen you connect. And I'm telling you, yes, you can connect. You know? 
So chemistry, we got to look for somebody that connects with the kiddos or whatever particular ministry you're feeling called to, right? We're looking for character, somebody that isn't perfect, but actually somebody that is moving in their relationship with Jesus. If they fall down, they get back up again. A person that has a, a real, living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. We're looking for people, obviously, with some competencies. We're looking for people with commitment. I know sometimes what, what's happening is all of a sudden on a Saturday night, our Sunday school volunteers or even the um, ushers in the back, they get a, a text. Sorry, I can't make it tomorrow. You know, like now the volunteer has to come back from his holidays or whatever, whatever it might be. But it's, there's commitment that comes with volunteering. In fact, I, I volunteered for years with lacrosse and I just finished up a stint with soccer. And let me tell you, those soccer mamas, if I didn't show up, I'd hear from them, I'll tell you. And I'd be surrounded by little grade three kids and they'd give me a beating, you know? So it's, it's really interesting that as a soccer coach, I gotta be there, I gotta be reliable, and I gotta be on time, most of the time, and provide that example of character and all that other stuff, right? Same thing here at church. And I want you to know how terribly, terribly, terribly important it is because I was impacted, and here I am, just over 30, Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, and I was so impacted throughout my childhood from great teachers, from great uh, uh, principals and administrators, to Sunday school teachers, to uh, preachers. And I tell you, if they didn't take the time, if they just looked over me and said hi to my mom and not to Steve, that would have impacted me too. You're needed. The kiddos need you. And it might take 30 years for you to get a, a text or an email or to see them on the street and all of a sudden, cool. But you're needed. Chemistry, character, Christ-likeness, competence, commitment. Jesus took time to think about this stuff. With these roles also comes, with these roles also comes uh, responsibility, accountability, the kiddos need you. So when we show up on a Sunday morning or when we show up to youth group, uh, to engage is a, you know, there's times, you guys, I worked on a Thursday and then I'd show up to youth group with a bunch of kids that had lots of energy and I love them to pieces, but I'm tired. You know, I need a nap. Some of you are napping right now. But when we see this as an investment in our future and when we see this as a privilege, when we see it as a responsibility and an accountability, you guys, it's amazing. Um, for instance, us. We've had some of you ask all the time about our oldest kid who took us through hard times, shall we say. And you still are asking about him. He's making a turnaround. He's making a big turnaround. It's a big deal. You know, Fred used to teach him Sunday school. Uh, and so many of you have prayed for him and been there for us, not judging me and Jody. And it's really cool to see the power of God. But we need invested adults. We need each other. Big decisions require trust in knowing that God's got your back. So you might be sitting here going, he's meddling, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to volunteer or whatever it might be. But you know what? 
few, few ways of hearing from God. I think just like Jesus did, he takes time. He takes time out, he goes to the mountainside, and he focuses on God. We hear the word meditation thrown out all the time. And it even makes my little kids nervous. I said, don't be scared of the word meditation. It's not emptying your mind, which a lot of people use it. It's filling your minds with thoughts of Christ and the thoughts he has towards you. So we get direction from his word. You got to be in the word of God. And you got to obey the word of God, right? You get directions from the Holy Spirit of God living within you. When you become a Christian, part of the Godhead is living within you. So the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. Circumstances. Sometimes there's crazy circumstances. Don't just go by circumstances, because then I'd, I'd have been doing lots of funny things by now. But if your circumstances kind of back up what you're hearing from God's word, or if all of a sudden you have a, a pastor or a, a mentor or somebody that you really look up to, pay attention to them, right? So all of these things are neat ways. Sometimes the Lord uses dreams to speak to you, but I mean... This stuff all falls in line with the Word of God because the Word of God, remember, is a capital W. It's a person that doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you all of a sudden have a dream, I had a dream last night, and it's something totally crazy, funky, and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it probably wasn't from God. Okay? It's got to line up. But these are ways sometimes we've got to spend time. In fact, when Jesus went uh, to the Gethsemane and he was facing the crucifixion, was he pumped about it? He was gaining strength to face what he had to face for you and for me. So maybe you got to take time out on the mountain or take time out on the mountainside to pray and gain strength because God is calling you to something. He might be calling you to reach your potential. He might be calling you to step out and start investing into other people. I'm not sure. He might be saying, he wants you to step out and say, enough grumbling about the chaff of your marriage. Now get up and realize it takes hard work. Every marriage does. What's he calling you? What's he calling you to? It's a long-term investment. So folks, I want to leave you with that. That is there a chance that we've been caught up in chaff discussions, chaff thoughts, and if I probably didn't define it, some of you are going, what in the world is chaff? So this whole sermon has been a dud for you. <laughs> well, gee whiz. That's the stuff that comes out of the butt end of a combine when they're harvesting. So the, the harvester comes and it takes up all, it harvests all the grain and the chaff, the shell and the stalk is out the back, don't need it. It goes away in the wind. But how many times are we attracted to and we spend time on excuses and chaff and the stuff that goes away in the wind and right there is opportunity. Kiddos that need us, other people that need us, marriages that are crumbling, people that need encouragement, people that need protégés, people that need mentors, whatever it might be. Jesus took time out to reconnect with the Father and get direction. And I think if he did it, there's a good chance that you and I need to do it too. What would it look like in your life if you stopped focusing on the chaff in your own personal life and in the lives of others you don't really like or feel uncomfortable with?
what would our church look like if we learned to stop being offended by certain things, if we learned to stop staring at chaff and we saw the people that sometimes represent the chaff, if we saw the harvest. Somebody pointed it out lately that even in this day and age, it's getting more and more obvious that when you stand up for Christ, it's getting harder and harder because right now we're being pushed to make decisions. But the harvest is ripe. Don't waste your time on chaff. Let's pay attention to the harvest. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us to do this, that, take some time out to pray and to be with you. And I think this morning, sometimes, for some folks in this room right here, you want to speak to them. You want, Lord, to say some words to them to encourage them to stop staring at the chaff. You're not staring at it. You see potential because of what Jesus did on the cross. And for some of us, Lord, we have not been serving. We've been maybe talking with a pastor for the last 15 years about I don't know my spiritual gift. And it's just like, come on. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that today you're putting your finger on some folks and help them to realize that when they sign up for something that's a good fit, that they will be equipped to do it, and you will come alongside and strengthen them just like you strengthened Jesus right now in Luke chapter 6, and you also did in the garden. Father, we got a bunch of kiddos downstairs. We got mops, mothers of preschoolers. We got youth group. We got um, uh, grief share. We have so many cool, cool ministries And Lord, we need volunteers in those ministries, volunteers that can get over the chaff in their life and can get over the chaff in looking at other people and they can see the potential that Jesus sees in people. We don't want to be staring at the Sabbath and the law. We want to be staring at the Lord of the Sabbath, at the Lord of the law and the Lord of our hearts. Lord, empower us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I think this guy wants to benedict us. Come on up here. Okay. And it's been a pleasure. I've, how long has it been? A year and a half, about? Long time. <laughs> wow, I should have rehearsed. Um, so about a year and a half. And one of the things that uh, Weston, Weston came at a rough time. We just lost Pastor Ken. Everybody loves Pastor Ken, right? He, and for those of you that are new to us, he died suddenly. He was supposed to preach on Sunday morning. Instead, he died Sunday morning. So it was just like, ah, it was the worst. So this guy came in on, you know, eggshells and stuff because we love Pastor Ken. And him and his wife and family have done a really good job. And one of the commissionings of him was lots of vines are growing in our church. A lot of cool things are happening. People are growing. People are coming here all the time. New people are coming. And we're just so pumped about all these organic vines growing everywhere. One of his commissions was we need some trellises. We need you to build some trellises so that these vines actually have a place to grow. So bring some organization and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff to it. And not only that, Weston's been a good, a good friend. There's a... I'm going to make you cry, right? But, uh, <laughs> but there's been some cool stuff, uh, some things about him and his wife that have really encouraged me and uh, helped me reach my potential. And with that, 
give us a benediction. <laughs> benediction today from Second Thessalonians uh, two thirteen. Uh, Paul's writing to Thessalonians, and and this is my cry on my heart as well. We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by our Lord, because God chose you to be saved through sanctification of the Spirit, to belief in the truth. And to this God has called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by letter. As I was thinking about traditions and and we hear the word traditions in the context of, of a church service and we think about religion and, and law, but here at, at White Rock Community Church, I've learned that we have traditions that are much more like the sorts of traditions you have in your family. Traditions of community and camaraderie, traditions of love. And it is my prayer and it will continue to be my prayer that you continue in those traditions. Uh, yesterday we had a few folks over at our house helping uh, get things ready and um, there's a line of little kids up by a certain lady. She's handing out gummy bears. A little tradition there, right? And we, every year we, we head out to the park like we are today. And uh, the ladies have been busy all morning cutting tomatoes and onions and everything else. And everything's getting prepared. We have those traditions. Traditions of community, of connection. Traditions of family. And so whether you're, you're here for the first time today or, or you've been here way longer than I have, I want, to, I want you to know how special this place is, how special the traditions of this place are, and don't take those traditions for granted. Live those traditions, love those traditions, um, accept those traditions, and, and be a part of the family here at White Rock Community Church. Lord, we, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that we've had, our family has had to be blessed by the church here. How much they've poured into us and our, our kids, and I just pray that you would continue to empower them to do that in the lives of so many that come through the doors here and, and out in the community as, as people from the congregation are, are engaged in their daily lives, Lord, that, that because they know you, because they are part of the family here, that they are different out there, and that people notice that. People see that there's something different, something worthwhile about belonging here, Lord. Continue to bless them. In your name, amen.